So when you hear the word crisis, what pictures pop up into your mind? You know, many of us, when we hear the word crisis, we think of an urgency or being upset or feeling hopeless or non-functional or anxious, anxious, or some of us just feel completely numb about everything going on around us. Sometimes when we hear the word crisis, we just think of a life out of control. You know, and while the Bible doesn't specifically use the word crisis in any of its pages, the stories within the scripture reveal the reality of crisis that's in our world and all around us. We see the Bible reveal the realities of trials and tribulations and testings and persecutions and afflictions and the aftermath of all those hardships and crisis points, uh, uh, crisis states that we find ourselves in with suffering and hardship and adversity and pain. And even Jesus himself said in John 16, verse 33, he said, I have told you these things so that... In me you will have peace. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. You see, in this moment, Jesus guaranteed in this world you will have moments of crisis. You will have moments of panic. You will have moments when everything just seems like it's falling apart. It will happen. It doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're, you're kind of different than everybody else in the world. You will face it. You will have it. He promises you will have trouble in this world. Why? Because this world is a dark place. But Jesus says, take heart because I have overcome the world. You see, the hardest thing with having crisis is because crisis leads to a loss. And that's why we feel numb. That's why the panic and the helplessness and the hopelessness sets in because crisis equals a loss. In crisis mode, we feel like we are losing something. And we live in a world that's in this constant state of crisis. And we're always feeling like we're missing out on something or we're losing something or something's going wrong. And just being in this constant state of crisis that we are in, we all at different levels are struggling and wrestling with anxiety and depression and fear and maybe even grief, depending on what our loss may be. My friends, we just need to be real over the next few weeks of the mental health issues that we all face. We all face them at different levels. And can I just tell you, unfortunately, so often we struggle with these different mental struggles, anxiety or fear or depression or grief, and we look around and we feel like I'm, the, I'm all by myself. No one's here with me. No one gets it. When in reality, you're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, I bet if we're all honest with ourselves, at some level we all wrestle with it. The problem is we don't ever talk about it. We feel like we need to hide it and, and, and suppress it and, and just hope it goes away. And it doesn't. Mental health and the wrestle mesh with it is very real. And we need to have a firm foundation on the reality of these struggles. And can I just tell you with that, all emotions are valid. Your feelings are not the struggle. And it's okay to not be, to be okay. It's okay to not have it all together because guess what? None of us do. <laughs> None of us really do anyways. It's okay to not be okay. 
Your feelings are not the struggle. What the struggle is, is what we, how we respond to our feelings. What we do with the feelings that we have. And through this series, we're going to walk through these emotional struggles to see God's path to victory. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about these different crisis points, anxiety and depression and fear and grief, and come to grips with the question through all these is where is God in all this mess? Because life is messy, and that's why these crisis points are such a big deal, because we live in a messy, messy world. But God showed us and has given us the ability to navigate through the messiness, through all the crisis points that we will face in our life, to find victory on the other side. And it all begins with the ground and the backdrop through these crisis points. And the struggle with it all is our identity. You know, we all wrestle with the question, where is God and who I am? And this is the backdrop of all of these crisis points that we deal with in our life. And being grounded in our identity is paramount for our mental health and our struggles. And my friends, we need to have a firm and solid foundation of who we are. Because these crisis points, they don't define you. Your feelings do not define who you are. We are defined by the God who created us, who loved us so much that he went to the cross to die for us, to give us victory over this messed up world, and to give us a life of joy that sustains beyond this world. We're all on the same journey. And what are we doing with this journey? How are we running through it? Your emotions are valid. What you feel, it's what you feel. That's not a bad thing. But what you do with what you feel is what makes a big difference. Your feelings are not the struggle. It's what you do with them. And people look at me, and I hear it so often. Well, Bill, I mean, you don't understand what we're going through. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. Or you don't stand the crisis in my life. Or we tell Jesus that too. And the Bible says that Jesus experienced everything that you experienced. That's why God came into this world as flesh. Why? So you don't have that excuse anymore. God, you don't get it. He does. Because everything you've gone through, everything you struggle with, everything you felt, so has he. And there's victory in that. And people look at me, well, Bill, you, you, know, you don't get it. You don't have gone through this, and you don't really understand it, and, and your life is just so perfect. No, it's not. Come over to my house for a week, and you'll see really how imperfect I am. We're all messed up. We're all messed up. And we all have crisis points in our life. You see what the big difference is when we look around us and we compare ourselves to other people and we think, well, they got it all together and they're not really dealing with what I'm dealing with and my life's messed up. Well, you know what the problem is? You know, when we walk with Christ, it doesn't mean that all the problems go away. Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles. He never said, hey, come to me and they'll all go away. No, he says, come to me because why? I've overcome them. You see, when we walk through this world, when we follow Jesus, the Bible teaches us that it's not that the troubles will just go away. It's not that, you know, it's not that life got easier. It doesn't. Many of you guys know, man, life does not, every year that goes by, it gets harder and harder 
and harder. It's like, boy, is this this ever going to end? The difference is, in Christ, you become stronger. That's the difference. That's the difference. And our struggles with who we are, it's not anything new with our generation. It's not like all of a sudden we woke up in the 21st century and it's like, no one ever struggled with the, who we are before. We never wrestled with this life question. No, it's always been there. And this crisis of who I am with our identity has existed since the fall of man. In fact, Moses struggled with who he was. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? King David, the, king, the guy that we say was a man after God's own heart, who we kind of hold on a pedestal. I mean, if there's a, if there's a person in the Bible who I want to emulate, in my life, it's David because that dude's got it together. Well, guess what? He wrestled with the question, who am I? Second Samuel chapter 7, it says, Then King David went and sat before the Lord. And he said, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me out of this? And in Psalm 144, we see the same struggle carry on. It says, Lord, what are human beings that you care for them? Mere mortals that you think of them. You see, since the fall of man, mankind has wrestled with the question, who am I? It's the heart of our struggles. Who am I? Why do I exist? What's my identity? It's nothing new for our world today. We see the pattern all throughout scripture and all throughout history. And the heart of the question, who am I, really gets down to what gives me uniqueness? What gives me the right to act? What, what is something that is constant in this world that's always changing around me? I just don't get it. And the Bible really deals with the, with the wrestling match of mankind that do I trust what I feel or do I trust God's path? In fact, Paul wrote this in Romans 8. He says, the mind that's governed by the flesh, by what we feel, leads to death. The mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. See, Paul is getting right there. He says, if you follow what feels right or what you think is right or what everybody in the world around you is telling you sh you should be, it leads to brokenness and an intensity. Your crisis point just intensifying. But Paul says, if you govern your heart and your life by Jesus, by the Spirit of God, to lead you through all this, there you find life. There you find peace. There you find a joy that sustains beyond this world. That's what Paul says. You see, this is so important because our identification is a crucial part of life. It's crucial to who we are. And we see these, this importance play out in so many ways. The who am I question has challenged the greatest philosophers all throughout history. All throughout history, you go back to the greatest philosophers. They're always wrestling with this question. Who are we? Why are we here? What is life all about? And here's the struggle with this. In the world we live in. My friends, when we allow our identity to be developed out of the crisis that surrounds us 
or the crisis points that are within us or what we feel is right, then we get a distorted view of who I am. And in so doing, on the other side, just like what Paul said, we don't find the joy and happiness that sustains. We see a life of crisis points that just increases and increases and increases. I mean, we can create the mirage of a happy life. We all try to do it. We can create the mirage that everything's great, I'm happy, life is good. But deep down, deep down we all know there's just something missing. Something is not there. Something is just not right. And please don't forget this truth of the Bible. God's heart is to bring blessings into your life, to bring joy, peace, and contentment into your life. When you see the Bible talk about being blessed, that's what he's talking about. See, God wants to give you joy. God wants to give you a happy life. That's what blessed means, to be happy. God wants to give you a happy life. The question is, how do we obtain the joy? That's the fundamental question. And I believe, with all my heart, God's joy that sustains beyond this world for you is found in an identity built in him. You see, when God created man in the garden, he created us to find who we are in his image. The Bible says that we were created in God's image. We were to find and answer that who am I question based upon who we are in him. And then the fall happened. And ever since then, crisis mode in the world developed. And mankind has constantly, from that point on, has been chasing the question, who am I? Who am I? You know, every generation of people has attempted to answer that question by recreating ourselves based upon what we feel is right or what we feel we should be. Yet God continues to chase us. God is continuing to chase us. He's not giving up. He loves us so desperately, and he constantly wants us to find who we are in him. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross. Why? Because he was not giving up on you. In the messed up world that we live in, he was not going to give up on you. And he wants you to be able to find who you are through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. In his image. In the way that he designed you to be. And Paul wrote this from, in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, so, so from now on, we regard no one from the worldly point of view. From what other people are telling you you should be or what you should be in your life. Though we were once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, and listen to this part, my friends. If anyone is in Christ... Meaning, if I decide, you know what, I am choosing Jesus, I'm following him, and I want to give my life to him. When you make that choice and you give your life over to him and you find who you are in him, the Bible says you have become a new 
creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So truth be told, to find the happiness that God designs us to have and to be and to experience, we have to be recreated. But we have to be recreated in him. That's where the joy that sustains beyond this world is found. The happiness that you're searching for, it's there. And as Paul writes, we no longer identify ourselves based upon what the world or other people are telling us we are. We find ourselves in him. We are defined by Jesus. We are who he says we are. And here's the thing. We all have this source that feeds us. In this life, there's always something feeding us that we surround ourselves with. That's why Paul wrote, what we surround ourselves with, who we surround ourselves with matters. Paul wrote that. And and the source of what we feed into our lives, that we feed our feelings with, fuels who we become and how we interpret our feelings and what's going on. You know, there's a reason why when I go fishing, I like to go fishing and in, in like the, the higher mountains, the creeks where the water runs nice and, and pure and, and wonderful. I'll eat fish out of those creeks. There's a reason why I'm not going to go fishing down at the Ohio River and eat those fish. My friends, there are some nasty stuff in the Ohio River. Don't eat those fish. But you see, the source of the water develops whether the fish is healthy or not. And the same is true in our spiritual walk and our walk in life. What sources are we allowing to fuel our lives, to fuel what we are feeling, because that drives our behaviors. And that drives how we interpret everything around us and the crisis points that are in our life. We all have those sources that fuel our feelings. And I believe that our identity, how we answer the who am I question, should be found in the one who created us, who died for us, and who gave us direction and a pathway in his word. And identity, when it's healthy, remains constant no matter what circumstances we face, no matter what friend groups change in in and out of our life, because they will. But when we find ourselves in him, that is the constant. Our identity is something that should remain stable. And the struggle in this walk that we're all in, in the messiness of this world, is that we all act out of who we think we are. Every one of us. Every one of us does that. We're not alone. And none of us are immune to it. And how we answer that who am I question is one of the primary ways that we express what our heart truly loves. The bot, Jesus said, what comes out of your heart comes out of your mouth and your life and your attitude and your actions. That's what's going on. And it's one of those defining marks of our motivation and what choices we do and where we go. You see, how we choose to answer the who am I question has a strong gravitational pull on our behaviors and our emotions. It does. This is why we should not answer the question of who I am based upon what I feel is right or what other people are telling me 
or what the world is throwing at us. Our source of identity should be in Jesus, the one who died for us, the one who continues to chase for you. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus says, you want to know the direction? You, know what, how to, you, you want to know how to walk through this messed up world? Come to me. Build a relationship with me. Follow me. And I'll walk you through this world. I'll guide you through all the messed up stuff. All those crisis modes that you're in. When life seems to be collapsing, when you're developing all the crisis points in your life, when you don't know which way to turn, we don't fully understand what's going on around you or how to view it or how you to, to navigate what you're feeling, come to me. You see, this is all about building a relationship with him. Jesus said, if you know me, then you know my Father who is in heaven. How do I do this, Bill? You just got to build a relationship with him. Be in his word. Be surrounded by him regularly in your life and let him speak to you. And so often we say, Bill, this Jesus stuff just doesn't work. I gave him a chance. No, you didn't. You came to church once a week or maybe once a month. That's not really giving any relationship a chance. In any healthy relationship, you've got to invest in that relationship. Otherwise, it's not going to be healthy. It's not going to be healthy. And the, Jesus said, the more you know him, and the more we see ourselves in him through his image, the more we experience his life, his joy, his happiness, his peace that sustains beyond this world. And the more we build that relationship with Jesus and follow his ways, the more we realize God's heart for our life. And that's where we find that joy and happiness that every one of us is searching for. Every one of us. And to find that eternal, that eternal joy and contentment is to fully experience his biblical identity in our life. To really answer that question, what source is flowing into my life? What sources am I allowing to flow into my life? What rivers are flowing into my life that fuel what I feel? Because it matters. Jesus said this in John 7, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What he's saying is, when you get to know me, when you allow me to be the source that flows into your life, you will experience all the living water that I provide, the happiness, the joy, the peace, and the contentment. What sources are flowing into your life? Are you allowing Jesus to be one that flows into your life? See, we need to build that framework of biblical identity. We all have to do our part to build that framework. I just want to really quickly highlight six things um, that, that will help build that identity that we can see through in our life. And I'm going to go through these fairly quickly. And I just want to get you, see, get you get a bird's eye view of what these are that we're trying to develop in our life. The first is to be a part of the family. Can I just be honest? Every one of us 
struggles with where do I belong. Every one of us. We're all trying to navigate and try to figure out where do I fit in? Where do I belong? That's the question we all wrestle with as we question with who am I? And we try, to, we try to find where we belong in our family. Some of us find our belonging in our actual family. And some of our actual families aren't going so well. And so we try to find our belonging in our other family, which is our friends, that we try to make our circle to, uh, of influence in our life. But Jesus and the Bible teaches us that God desires us to be a child of God. That's what he calls us. When we give our lives to Jesus, we become children of God. In other words, what God is saying is, I want you to find where you belong in my family. You are one of my children. You are in my family. The question is, do you trust him enough to walk with him and be a part of his family? And then there we need to walk and try to obtain a biblical worldview. See, so much crisis and, and battles and divisiveness happens in this world because of the battle, the cultural battle of the worldviews. And that's what's going on. And, and, and we need to find what is the culture of Christ that we need to find in our life. The constant identity crisis is that battle. But let me just be honest with you guys. Please do not get confused with the culture of Christ and the culture of the American church. They are not always one and the same. Because we are messed up people. But we better figure out what is the culture of Christ. In other words, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the way to the Father... We better have an answer to that question. What does that worldview look like in my life? Because that interprets how I see everything else. And every one of us interprets all the crisis around us based upon the glasses we are putting on in our worldview. Some of us are using the glasses of how we feel. Some of us are using the glasses of our political leanings or other things. And all those things are not the right way. The Bible says, see the world through me. Find yourself in him. Not what the world says. Not what your political leaning says. Not what anything else that we try to fit Jesus into this box. Because Jesus is bigger than the box. We need to see the world through his that way. He needs to be the way, the truth and a life in our life. Thirdly, is to live for God's will, not our will. The Bible calls us to be slaves of righteousness. In fact, the Bible reveals that we're all slaves to something. Whether you realize it or not, we're all slaves to something. That's what creates all the crisis points in our life. We're slaves to what other people say. We're slaves to the life we're trying to achieve. We're slaves to our feelings. But the Bible says to be slaves to righteousness. What guides your life? What interprets, what, what, how do you interpret everything around you? What determines how you step? I step to try to be right before God. You know, this is about having the ability to choose what, I'm gonna, what path I'm gonna take. Every one of us has that ability. Which way will you choose? Which will you do? Guys, in all situations, you have the ability to make the choice. You have the ability to make the choice. And I promise you, there's in moments in your life, in all of our lives, 
when no one's looking, when you have the opportunity to follow God or sin. And in those moments, what do you choose? Because there's always those moments where we have the opportunity to, hmm, maybe I shouldn't make that choice. Maybe I shouldn't go in that direction. And I have the option to sin or not. What do you do in those moments? How are you eliminating those options in your life? Because the fourth one is to realize that the Bible teaches us that we are the temple of God. When we give our lives over to Jesus, the Bible says that God's spirit is now living in us. You are the house of God. That's exciting and that's scary all wrapped in one. It's exciting because you're in the presence of God. It's scary because am I living in such a way that I'm being hospitable to God who's within me? You know, knowing that God's right here with me, how's that changed my life? How am I living my life knowing that he's right there all the time? Sometimes we need to add some temple regulations or life rules that help us make the right choice or when we mess up, the next right choice. Because also, number five, we need to live out humility. The core of Bible and walking with Jesus is living in a humble way. Yet so often, we become prideful people. And pride, all it does is lead to more and more poor choices and choices that just bring more crisis into our life and separate us from the heart of God. How can we become more humility, humble in our lives, in our walk? And finally, number six, we need to see our role and live out our role in the body of Christ. How do we live beyond ourselves to see what God is doing? How are we being salt and light and developing our gifts to be used to build up each other rather than just being kind of stagnant within the body? You see, when we live out this framework of a biblical identity in our life, there we find confidence and wisdom and security. There we see what God desired us to be. And there we experience all the happiness and joy that he wants to give. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Romans 5. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit and has been given to us. What's Paul writing there? Same thing Jesus was saying. The more you get to know him, the more he gives you perseverance to walk through this messed up world the more he gives you the confidence and the hope and the peace and the comfort and the strength, everything that your heart is longing for, there you find it, the more you get to know him. Though there may be crisis all around us, we grow stronger. We go stronger to deal with whatever the world may throw with at us. But we're such relational people. We're all so relational. That's how God developed us. That's how we were designed and there's goods and bads to it. You know, the hard thing is because we've allowed so much of other people telling us of what we are, it's developed crisis points in our life. You remember that time when you were in elementary 
when you're on the back schoolyard and you got picked last because, well, you just couldn't, you couldn't catch the ball. So no one really wanted you on the team. Or, or maybe as you're growing up and you didn't really have the funds to buy all the cool clothes and, you know, you're just not the right person if you don't have the right clothes. And, and so you have to have the certain look and you just try so hard to have that certain look. And that's why you try to define yourself based upon how you look. Or you get older and you're going through high school and you don't have the 4.5 gajillion GPA. And it's like, I just don't add up. I'm just not good enough because my GPA is only down here and I'm not way up there and I'm not in all these elite classes and I'm not that smart as everybody else and it just kind of beats us down, right? And there's more crisis points that developed. Or then you graduate from high school and you see all your friends going to these elite state campuses and colleges and you're like, well, I'm not really going to that college so I might not be as good as them and... It just develops more crisis points, and it becomes more of what defines you. Or you're 25, and you're sitting there, you finished college, and you had all these dreams and goals of how life should be and where you should be at at this point. You're thinking, well, I should have this house. I should have these cars. I should be making this level of income, but I still live in that apartment. And then before you know it, everything that everybody else around you in this world has been telling you who you are... And what you should be, it just builds up. And it just creates more and more crisis in our life. Because we just don't live up to those standards. And it's not bringing the happiness that I hoped it to be. And we see all this stuff about the Bible. And it's like, God just doesn't make sense. I don't know how I can do that. Let me read you this verse. It's not in the screen or the notes. I just wanted to hear you to hear it. 2 Peter 1.3. Maybe jot it down and go read it for yourself later. It's written, by his divine power. Listen to this, my friends. God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. Did you hear that? All those questions, I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. Stop trying and start connecting. He said, I have given you everything you need to live the way, the truth, and the life. I've given it all to you. And we have received it all. We've received all this by coming to know him. Hear it? It's not about who you are or what you try to be. It's who you're connecting with. And Peter says, I ha- God has given it all to us the more we connect with him. The more we find who we are in him. But people say, well, Bill, that, that sounds really great on paper, but what in the world does that mean? It means we got to spend time with him. In any relationship, you have to get to know him. The more you get to know the other person, the more you communicate, you talk, you hang out, the more you build that relationship, the more you get to know each other, right? And Jesus is asking for the same thing. 
Well, Bill, I tried that. I went to church last week. Okay, that's great. But it's about getting in his word. How, how many times this week, this past week, have you just hung out with Jesus? Have you read the Bible? Have you just been in his word? Because if you're not, you're not getting to know him. You're not getting to know him. We need to spend time because the more we spend time and find who we are in him, all these crisis points that have developed in our life that was built on by what everybody else says we are to be or, or what the world around us is telling us to be kind of builds up more and more. And we think, well, I, I kind of started it. I kind of read a couple Bible verses and I got a little bored. You know, I kind of got bored with it and I kind of stopped. And then we kind of stopped there. But it's got to continue, continue on. It needs to become a habit in our life and develop it more and more because at this point, it's good you started something, but we're still largely defined by everything else that everybody else has told us that we are or that we should be or, or what the world says we should be. But the more we just spend time and hang out with him and the more we build that relationship with him, the more he just pushes everything out. But still we just get kind of to the point where we get a little bored with it, Right? Or life gets busy and we stop halfway. Well, I did kind of good, right? I mean, he kind of developed who I am. He's a, kind of a, a part of my life. And that's where we get. Many of us are living a walk where Jesus is a, a part of our life. He's not really our life yet. And here's the problem with that. If you're one of those people, you're walking around and Jesus is a part of my life. He's not really my life. Guess what the world sees from you? They don't see all this. They see this. When you're back 100 yards away, they're going to see this. and They're going to say, you're a hypocrite. You're awful. You're not really who you say you are. All this different stuff. Why? They don't see any of this. They see all this. And we kind of give up. We just kind of stop there. And too many Christians are just living their lives of Jesus being a part of their life rather than being their life. And we're still struggling with all these crisis points. We wonder, what's up? What's up is you can't stop getting to know him. You got to keep building that relationship with him. Reading his word, spending time with him on a daily basis. Because the more we do that, the more we invest and we continue on that path, he just continues to push everything out. Everything out. And I just made a mess. He pushes everything out to the point to where he is the thing that defines you. No longer what they told you on the, on, the, on, the, on the playground. No longer with how you thought your friends viewed you in high school or what you hoped to accomplish in college or what you hoped to accomplish in your life. No longer are you defined by the, by the world standards. You are defined by the image of God who created you, who loves you, who chases you, who died for you. You are who he says you are. Stop trying to be something different. And here's the awesome thing in this. Because the world doesn't stop. In this world, you will have trouble. 
It will never go away. I wish it would because I hate it. I hate the messed up stuff that goes on. In this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. See, life's still going to throw the jabs. Life's still going to try to tell you this is who you should be. This is how you should um, uh, you know, understand what you're feeling. This is how you should respond to all that. But here's the beauty. It doesn't stick anymore. Before it became who I am, but now it can't get in there like it used to. Why? Because Jesus is there. And the more I invest in him, all this junk goes out. It can't stick like it used to. It's no longer who I am. Why? Because I am a child of God. My friends, if you've given your life to Jesus, you are a child of God. No longer will we allow the world to define who we are or to navigate how we feel. Chase him. He's chasing you. He's chasing you. And in him, you will find life. In him, you'll find the happiness that you're searching for. But it all starts with answering the question, who am I? Will you allow him to be the one to answer that question? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you because you are such a good God. And Lord, I know every one of us has, has, is, and continues to wrestle with that question. And so many of us are sitting here right now and we have all these different struggles and crisis modes and stressors in our life. And it's just so hard to navigate it all. And we try to define our life and, and dictate our life by what the world is saying. But Father God, may we find who we are in you. Lord, thank you for always chasing us and never giving up. And Lord God, may we stop running and may we turn and run to you. To your name we pray. Amen.